Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. I hope you're having a delightful time on this fine, whenever the heck it is that you're listening to this. Me? Oh, I'm doing okay, I suppose. I'm grateful for the acid rain that put out that tire fire, which sounds like it might be an extended metaphor for some kind of a political situation. And it probably is one, but it's also the literal truth. There was a salvage yard that caught on fire uh, about 10 blocks from our house, and uh, it turned very quickly from a one-alarm fire into a five-alarm fire, which both Lisa and I had the same reaction to when we, as we were watching that news, which was when it got up to a four-alarm fire, we were just like, that's the second spiciest chili. That's not good. Our entire frame of reference for the number of alarms pertaining to a fire was uh, chili rankings. So when it got to four, I was like, oh, that's habanero. If this thing goes full ghost pepper, we're all in terrible danger. And it did. So we got a notice from the city that because of the nature of the fire, it was releasing a lot of hazardous material into the air and we had to vacate our house immediately. Uh, so we had to evacuate for a day. We are back home now and we are safe. But it did throw both the recording schedule and my sleep schedule into a bit of a tizzy. So I'm going to get this episode out, but I do want to just warn you in advance. I wrote the synopsis when I was very, very sleepy. And I'm recording this intro and editing this podcast when I am very, very sleepy. So... We'll see how it turns out, but we went a little long in the recording, and normally I take a bit more time to edit down the longer episodes, but there is every chance that you will be receiving a long podcast, for I do not have time to edit a shorter one. In summation, thank goodness for the chili rating system so that we know when we have to leave our house. Now, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis poem is submitted by Bradley Null, and it is a synopsis haiku. A haiku rhymes not, so this is a cheat for Hub's comic synopsis. Thanks, Bradley. That felt weird, man. Uh, just so you know, too, we have had a couple of haikus submitted in short order, so next week's will probably be one as well, and I don't want you to think that anybody's copying anybody. This is a parallel evolution, which is interesting to see. Tales of the New Teen Titans, number three, August 1982, Beast Boy, I mean, The Changeling. Written by Marv Wolfman, drawed by George Perez, inked by Gene Day, lettered by John Costanza, colored by Adrienne Roy, and edited by Len Wein. Teen Titan Roll Call, Cyborg, Raven, Starfire, Robin, Kid Flash, Wonder Girl, but mostly, Beast Boy. Previously in Tales of the New Teen Titans. Our titular heroes had had a pretty rough and determinate amount of comic book time, so they decided to head out on a four-day camping trip to the Grand Canyon for some relaxation and team-building exercises. Hooray! On the first night, Cyborg interrupted a cookout to stare off into the middle distance and reminisce about his troubled upbringing. He informed his teammates that he was a child prodigy at science, fought with his dad, had a friend named Ron who was in a gang, and that there's no such thing as racism. 
Then a fart monster ate his body, so he got roboted up, which he didn't care for, and he apparently killed his old buddy Ron when Ron tried to blow up the UN. The main takeaway from Victor's misty watercolored memories were friendship is nice, anger is bad, and racism doesn't exist. Good to know. The next night at dinner, Raven started staring off into the middle distance, but declined to share the secrets of her troubled past. Instead, she waited until midnight, then woke everyone up, stared off into the middle distance, and shared the secrets of her troubled past. Like a true goth. Or a golden girl. Take your pick. Turns out, Raven's mamarella got mixed up in some Rosemary's Baby bullshit and got knocked up by an extra-dimensional giant red jerkhole named Trigon. She tried to off herself, but some mystic weirdo beardos from a magic place called Azeroth yoinked her off to have her baby there. When Raven was born, Azeroth got all earthquakey for a minute, then started smelling like farts. An old lady named Azar raised Raven and taught her some magic empathy healing stuff and told her that she had to suppress all of her feelings all the time or shitty shit would go down. Not having any emotions made Raven super sad all the time, but that was fine because I guess sad isn't an emotion. Hooray! Azar died, which made Raven feel more of that non-emotion of sadness. Raven started having super creepy dreams about her deadbeat demon dad. Then, when she turned 16, Trigon showed up in Azeroth and told his daughter about his origin. Which he somehow managed to do without staring off into the middle distance, which is impressive when you understand that he has four eyes. That's a lot of middle distance to not look at. Trigon informed his distressed daughter that he was made out of all of the bad stuff that the Azerathians tossed out of their souls when they left Earth to start up their utopia. What a bunch of irresponsible spiritual litter bugs! Trigon started slapping Raven's mom around, which made Raven mad, which it turns out is an emotion. Good to know! Being mad gave Raven the power to make a weird shadow bird out of her soul, which she told to go punch her shitty dad in his shitty face with its bird arms. Unfortunately, that was just what Trigon wanted, and the demonic douche dad hunked a chunk of his evil soul energy into his daughter's soul so that he could corrupt her. Shitty. So, now Raven's diabolical bad dad lives in her soul tummy and tries to take over her mind whenever she has feelings. Except for sad, which as we established, is not a feeling. When the Azerathian avian avatar empath concluded her woeful traipse down exposition lane, the other titans noticed that Beast Boy was grinning like an idiot. When questioned on the conspicuously contented countenance, the green teen replied that he was just pleased that all of the traumatic events he just listened to happened to his teammates and not him. God, Zooks! Is the gang's resident emerald adolescent really that big of an asshole? Will Beast Boy be the next Titan to stare off into the middle distance and recall untold incidents of his tragic past? If so, will Garfield Logan's teammates treat his tale with the same respect he treated theirs? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so, yup, yup, and yup. Wow, that was a quick one. Garfield Logan, a.k.a. Beast Boy, a.k.a. The Changeling, transforms himself into a kangaroo to deliver a pouch full of firewood to his fellow titans in service of their camping trip's nightly cookout. I'm of mixed opinions on Gar's choice here. On the one hand, I'm impressed that the insecure teen is able to put aside his performative masculinity and transform himself into a female kangaroo, the only kind that has a pouch. On the other hand, that firewood is going to be covered in mucous membranes and other goopy stuff that aids a baby roo's gestation, which is going to make for some slimy wood that's going to be pretty hard to ignite. So, one panel in, I guess it could go either way for the green kid. Oh, wait, never mind. 
He just made a super gross and crass comment about Starfire's body that references a 1940s cigarette ad. Fuck you, Beast Boy. And to think, I was considering starting to call you Changeling. Okay, no I wasn't. Gar whips out some hot dogs, which thankfully is not a metaphor, and everyone huddles around the fire. Despite the fact that there are seven teens gathered around a campfire, nobody breaks out an acoustic guitar. Hooray! Everyone makes fun of Gar for a bit. Hooray! As the gang starts roasting their wieners, everyone's fourth favorite Garfield, it goes uh, President Garfield, Spider-Man actor Garfield, Monday-hating cat Garfield, then Beast Boy, starts staring off into the middle distance. You know what that means. Garfield Logan's parents were scientists doing research in the fictional African country of Upper Lumumba. His dad seemed like kind of a dick. Gar got a rare disease called Sakuda, so his folks treated him by testing some of their experimental research on him, which saved his life, which was pretty cool, but also turned him green, which took some adjusting to. Turned out, the younger Logan's greenification had some other side effects as well. A few years later, when a black mamba snake attacked his mom, Gar instinctively turned into a mongoose and killed the snake, saving his mother's life. Hooray! A few years after that, both his parents fell off a cliff and died, and Gar instinctively turned into a real sad kid and cried a bunch. Not so hooray. Gar was adopted by one of his dad's pals, the chief of a local tribe named King Tawaba. Hooray! But then King Tawaba's enemy, a witch doctor named Mobu, paid a couple of shitty adventurers to kill the little green kid. Not so hooray. The shitty adventurers decided not to kidnap Gar, hooray, but rather to kidnap him and force him to rob banks. Not hooray. The two shitheels eventually got even greedier and ended up killing each other. Eh, mildly qualified hooray. And young Garfield got adopted, hooray, by an evil abusive fuck named Nicholas Galtry. Scratch that last hooray. Galtry was a total asshole and only adopted Gar so he could get at the late Dr. Logan's money. So, suck to be Gar. On the plus side, the green preteen made friends with a nice blonde-haired kid named Jillian who was nice to him. So, there was that. Then we get an awesome splash page where Beast Boy tells us that he joined the Doom Patrol, got adopted by Elastigirl and Steve Dayton, the fifth richest and therefore fifth most trustworthy man in America, teamed up with the old Teen Titans, and then joined the short-lived Teen Titans West, and got to meet everybody's favorite hero in the DCU, Aqualad. But then the Teen Titans and the Teen Titans West broke up, and Doom Patrol and his new adopted mom got murdered, and he started fighting with his new dad, and Aqualad went back to Atlantis to babysit Aquababy for like seven years. It was a very eventful splash page. Back in the present of 1982, we see that Gar got so absorbed in talking about himself that he burned his hot dog. Everybody makes fun of Beast Boy. Hooray! Gar returns to his tale, telling his pals about how great his life was and what a huge success he was in Hollywood. The flashback, however, tells a different story. What? A Hollywood actor being some kind of a... a phony? Unprecedented! Gar landed a role on a Star Trek knockoff called Space Trek 2022. The show had cheesy, inconsistent dialogue, cheap costumes, and terrible acting. In short, it looked awesome! and I would totally buy the box set of it and eagerly await the inevitable guest appearances by Clint Howard, Charo, and, I don't know, probably a young Paul Sorvino. 
Oh, and I bet at least two former cast members of Benson show up in it. Man, what a great show! Apparently, even on a low-budget mid-70s space opera, Gar stood out as a terrible and incompetent actor. After messing up an action scene, the abashed emerald adolescent was getting chewed out by the show's director when an armored interloper interrupted the dressing down. The metal-clad marauder introduced himself as Arsenal and deployed a bunch of gadgets to smack Beast Boy around. We cut back to the Grand Canyon where we see that once again, the self-absorbed shapeshifter has overcooked his hot dog. Gar is again thoroughly mocked by his peers. Hooray! Back on the set of Space Trek 2022, Arsenal pounded on Beast Boy for a minute, then left for no apparent reason. Huh. Okay. In the months that followed, Space Trek 2022 went off the air because apparently some people felt the show might have been ripping off Star Trek and Space 1999. What? Space Trek 2022 was clearly a completely original creation. Like the Squadron Sinister, or the Adolescent Radioactive Black Belt Hamsters, or Lenny Kravitz. Gar had trouble finding work, or a date, or a shirt that buttoned up past his navel, just when things were looking the glummest. The jobless Jade Jabberjaw received a visit from his old pal Jillian. For no apparent reason or motivation, Jillian started dating Gar, and the two teams seemed pretty happy. They had a whole montage about it. Sadly, towards the end of the falling in love montage, that jerkhole arsenal showed back up and kidnapped Jillian, flying her back to his not-so-secret headquarters, an enormous castle in the hills of L.A. What an asshole! Man, what is it with DC characters named Arsenal? You see, it's funny, because later in his career, Speedy also goes by the name Arsenal, and canonically, Speedy is a fuckwit. Anyway, Gar follows this Arsenal back to the totally inconspicuous castle hideout. At this point, Gar takes a page out of his buddy Cyborg's playbook and starts jumping around angrily in his tidy whities for no apparent reason. Hooray! Suddenly, the drawbridge opened. Recognizing a trap when he saw one, Beast Boy did what any teen titan would do in his situation. He walked directly into the trap and was immediately captured and knocked unconscious. Way to go! Back in 1982 Arizona, Gar has again burned his hot dogs and is again mocked. Hooray! Naturally, he responds by creepily hitting on Starfire. Boo! Back in the flashback, Garfield awoke to find himself held in an electrified plexiglass cage. Arsenal removed his mask and revealed that his secret identity was none other than Gar's oldest and most hated enemy. That snake that tried to murder his mom! Okay, maybe not his oldest enemy, but certainly his most hated. Well, except maybe for the people who murdered his friends and adopted mom in Dune Patrol. L look, it's Nicholas Galtry, Beast Boy's abusive former foster father. He may not have the superlatives to back it up, but I'm certainly willing to stipulate that the guy's a real asshole. Probably the second worst Arsenal ever. Galtry slash Arsenal demanded that Gar pay a ransom for the release of Jillian. The chagrined shapeshifter attempted to comply, but was unable to get a hold of his absentee adopted father, Steve Dayton, the fifth richest and therefore fifth most trustworthy man in America. Then Galtry threatened Jillian. In an act of desperation, Gar turned himself into a porcupine and shot out his quills, which shattered the electrified plexiglass. Because sure, that's how porcupines work. Why not? 
Once free, the enraged avenging Animorph changed himself into a series of animals and beat the crud out of Galtry, continuously making terrible animal puns as he did so. Hooray! The vengeful viridescent vigilante turned himself into a giant crab and crushed the mech suit off of his furious former foster father foe. Then, assuming his regular old human form, Garfield Logan punched the shit out of Galtry. After thoroughly pummeling his would-be captor, Garfield reached the same conclusion that his buddy Cyborg had. That jumping around in your underpants is terrific? Well, actually, maybe. I mean, that is the outfit he's wearing at the end of the fight. But the conclusion I was talking about was the one about how anger is bad, so don't be angry. Huh. I guess that was kind of one of Raven's takeaways as well. Man, anger's getting a really bum rap in this miniseries. Back at the campsite... Gar has once again burned his hot dogs. Fortunately, while Beast Boy was staring off into the middle distance and yammering on, his buddy Cyborg prepared a plate of hot dogs for him, cooking them with his internal generator. Aww. Also, gross. That sounds like something that would happen in a David Cronenberg body horror cooking show. Like a mashup of Chopped and Videodrome. Instead of in a basket, the mystery ingredients are stored in a panel in James Wood's stomach. Get at me, Food Network, let's do this thing! As the rest of the Titans stand around and make fun of Beast Boy some more, Princess Coriander starts to stare off into the middle distance and thinks that all this reminiscing might just be putting her in a mood for reminiscing. To be continued. Hey, I wonder if Gar has any of that kangaroo placenta-encrusted firewood might be able to use it for that cooking show. And, as you've possibly heard, as has been foretold in the ancient prophecies, Cory finally found that dang amulet. But it was in some soup, and he accidentally ate it. So, while Cory is waiting for the ancient amulet to pass through his system, we are once again joined by my wonderful co-host, my brilliant wife, Lisa. Lisa, how are you doing? I am great. I'm ready to talk about Changeling slash Beast Boy. Do you know how I'm ready? How, Lisa? I got my swagger on. You do indeed. For those of you listening at home, which is, I believe, everyone, Lisa is dressed as a giraffe. (laughs) Well done. A very good friend of ours recently purchased me a giraffe onesie, and Lisa has appropriated it for this very special mission of discussing a Beast Boy comic book. Lisa, how are you doing? I am pretty great. I agree. So, what'd you think of the issue? Eh. <laughs> I believe that has been your reaction to all three issues <laughs> thus far. Um, I think my cyborg reaction was, uh. <laughs> very fair. Yeah, I completely see where you're coming from on this one. Independently of having a general, uh, reaction to the comic book, Would you say it was a romp? I mean, it has more of a narrative structure Mm -hmm. than the other ones. Like, it wasn't like, let me tell you about my sad past. Let me tell you how racism doesn't exist. It was (laughs) like, hey, I'm going to talk about this one thing that happened. So that was pleasant. Okay, but not a romp, per se. Not a romp. Mostly because Beast Boy is gross (laughs) and not funny. (laughs) I think that is absolutely true. I think I actually enjoyed the comic book more than you did, in part because 
I wouldn't say I've built up an effective immunity to Beast Boy being an <laughs> asshole, but I've built up a little bit more of an immunity to it because I'm more used to the idea having covered more Beast Boy comic books. So when I read this, I was like, yeah, that's Beast Boy, but it actually makes a little more sense in this context. How so? So I, I have my own theories about if he's performing masculinity, if this mm -hmm. is a conscious... Like, we have, we can, we definitely have some Yeah, I there. think that's a big part yeah. of what it is. And I think part of why it came across a little bit better for me in this issue is we see definitively and canonically that he is full of shit. Like, we've certainly been able to suss that out previously. But part of what you see done, I think, pretty well in this comic book and that comic books can do that is harder to do in other mediums is the unreliable narrator is played out visually and concretely mm. you see what he is saying with the captions and then you see what was actually happening in the main panel in a way that immediately juxtaposes them and and highlights the difference huh, i hadn't thought about that and I, I think it did a pretty good job with that oh no totally that that being said beast boy's fucking terrible <laughs> But I mean, like, the, one of the big questions I had is, like, who the fuck is the audience for this? Like, what is the purpose of this character? What does it say about the creators? What does it say about the people that they think are reading their, their books? Like, how does it... I don't know. I just... I had a lot of questions about that. Well, you brought up his performative masculinity. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it is really clear that it is performative and he really doesn't know what he's talking about mm -hmm. and is lying about like how successful he is with women and like that whole thing. And how successful he is. I mean, honestly, it like feels like somebody who is has been in LA a little bit too long. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I think honestly, the target audience for this is kids who are Around Beast Boy's age during the bulk of the comic book, so I would say early teens, who are being taught to perform masculinity themselves and will see themselves reflected in it. And maybe not in the specifics. Like, I think it's a broader example of that. And like, you're and supposed to see that it's silly and an exaggeration. Yeah. That's what I meant by broader, like broad comedy. Oh. But I think there are aspects of, especially early 80s culture, that I think a surprising and disturbing amount of people were able to relate to Beast Boy as a character. And he is also supposed to be comic relief, and you are supposed to be laughing at him more than with him in this. But he himself is not fun. No. It's more the, the I don't like, laugh farce at my type friends. Thing. Like, that's awful. Aren't yeah. comic book heroes supposed to be your friends? Aren't you not supposed <laughs> to, like, want to be like, haha, you're ridiculous? <laughs> I don't know. You see a kind of almost good-natured ribbing going on with beast boy and the rest of the titans in it i feel like kind of they're also kind of like shut up gar nobody cares about your story gar yeah <laughs> although to be fair <laughs> shut up gar <laughs> i think maybe the more relatable aspect that i came to think about with this is like how incredibly insecure he is yes and how much he brags and how much his bravado is about that insecurity instead of about you know, who he is. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. Although, to be honest, that was part of what I didn't like as much about this is because we've seen that story played out with him over and over again, and I'm ready for a new story. That has been one of his defining characteristics was his insecurity. And we've had, I think, at least two storylines in the New Teen Titans series already that have dealt with that, and now he's put that behind him and is a more confident and effective mm -hmm. 
Gar, and he's not. No. And that is certainly frustrating. There's also aspects of the way that he is joking around and the way he is trying to be a teen in 1982. Some of it makes sense, like, you know, him being a totally sexist asshole. Some of it doesn't make sense, like the specifics of it. Once again, a lot of the references that he makes are references to, like, things from when the author was that age. Like, in a super shitty and objectifying reference that is uh, directed at Starfire. Oh, that's disgusting, yeah. It's disgusting, but it's also for a, like, 1940s Lucky Strike cigarette ad. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. What we're referring to is he has this whole long opening spiel. He's describing the hot dogs that he's purchased. Supposedly. Yes. You think he stole the hot dogs? <laughs> I wouldn't put anything past this green <laughs> motherfucker. Okay. He's describing the hot dogs and he says, So round, so firm, so fully packed. Not unlike our own Princess Coriander of Tamarind. I totally forgot Gross, that. Yeah. But yeah, that's like, if you listen to the old Jack Benny yep. show, I think they may have brought back the slogan again in the 90s as like a nostalgia thing. That was an ad campaign for Lucky Strike cigarettes from the 40s and maybe 50s. I remember we listened to it on the way to Brighton Bush. Yeah, when we were listening to the Jack Benny show. So there's that. And there's another one where when Donna and Dick are asking him questions, he refers to Donna as Arlene Francis, who was a frequent guest on What's My Line? You know, like a 16-year-old in 1982 would know about. Yeah, I had no idea who that was. I had to look it up. But, like, it's that kind of, how do I write banter? This is how I write banter. Never mind that your character is supposed to be a fucking teenager. Well, I think it's also, like, the character is, like, the, the comedian who's, like, waka waka, let me Fozzie just... Bear? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Fozzie Bear. No, like, um... The the one who's constantly doing, like, one-liners. Oh, like, Henny Youngman? Henny Young, yeah. Like, that's take like, my wife, please. Yeah. Yeah, he, he definitely has that almost just, like, constant, like, I just need to keep making jokes. It doesn't matter what they are or if they're terrible. Just, like, keep spitting out one-liners. Yeah, or if they're disgusting. <laughs> Fair enough. Sorry, he really disturbed. It was just, like, so gross. It was... And, and that's like, on the first page, the first panel of the comic And book. nobody said anything. Like, it just kept on happening, it felt like. Yeah, and I feel like you can read it as like, yeah, they're just used to it and they just fucking tune him out. But, like, that's his friend. That's gross. And and also later he's like, I would leave, leave you with some of my famous hickeys or something. <sighs> <laughs> that's like the sound for Beast Boy. Yeah. So he's burned the hot dogs again. Which is a running gag throughout the comic book, which was something that I actually did kind of enjoy. And I think speaks to the characterization of Gar in this comic book is he's so self-absorbed and, and into telling his story that he's continually burning the hot dogs because he is talking rather than paying any attention to what he's doing. I would hate to smoke pot with Gar. Oh, God. Because it would be a constant, A, he would keep talking about himself, but you would have to totally use the line that I've heard people have said if they were interested in smoking marijuana with a group of people, which I wouldn't know anything about. But uh, the, hey, it's a bong, not a microphone. <laughs> I've never heard that. Oh, I've heard it all too many times. <laughs> but as the person it was directed um, to. I don't know. I don't do drugs, Lisa. But. He has burned the hot dogs, and she is about to call him on it, and is going, hmm, and actually a pretty funny panel. And then he follows that up by saying, 
You're gorgeous. I'd love to leave you with my personalized hickeys. But if you say it, I could learn to hate you. Well, it's also like the only value you have to me is your beauty. Yes. I don't care the fact that you're a caring, beautiful friend. Yeah. Mostly you're just beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) Agreed. I did enjoy the running motif of him constantly burning hot dogs. That I thought was nice. I like that we saw more of the other Titans. That was pleasant. Although, one of the things that annoyed me was... It's an awesome cover that shows, like, the Beast Boy of the past, the Beast Boy who is the hero, and then the Beast Boy that's wearing his overalls. So apparently Camping Trip Beast Boy. And then in the background, there are all of the characters from Doom Patrol and the Teen Titans and the Teen Titans West. And so we get the impression that we're going to get to... And yes, Lisa's pointing at the comic book, and there's Aqualad on the cover, which is nice. And I love Aqualad, and I love seeing Aqualad drawn by George Perez, because he always gives him the young Tom Jones look. George Perez does many, many things very well, and one of them is drawing characters with curly hair, which <laughs> is nice. But you, you see that, and you're like, oh, sweet, we'll get that. We'll get to learn about his past with all these heroes that he used to hang out with. And... It's all disposed of in a single panel. There are all of these stories from Gar's past that it references so quickly in passing. I wrote down a list of the stories that I would have rather heard (laughs) rather than this one issue that it hints at briefly. And I'm like, oh, I would read a comic book about that. There's the court intrigue with King Tawuba and Mobu. Oh, that would have been really good. I would have read that story. Mm -hmm. That sounded pretty cool. There's the Gar Logan bank robbing eight-year-old. That he mentions really quickly when he is taken hostage and basically what happens to Terra in the regular Mm -hmm. Teen Titans series happens almost verbatim to him, which he never mentions when he's talking to her, which is weird. There's the Gar Logan abused orphan with magic powers. I mean, there is a market for that. That's like Anne of Green Gables plus five. Did Anna Green Gables have magic powers? The power of imagination is fucking magic. Hub. Okay, I'm sorry. You're right. I was thinking Harry Potter. What a doofus. <laughs> but yeah, he, he could have done that. I would have loved to have read of Gar's adventures with Doom Patrol, which are dispensed with in like half a panel. But don't you read that in Doom Patrol? I mean, I could, but that series had been done for a while. I would have loved to have read of the further tales of the Teen Titans West. Which we only, we got three issues of that with the Teen Titans, but they could have made up another story with those characters. And it showed them in like, I saw Gnark for half a panel. And I was like, I want a Gnark story. I want a Mal Duncan story. Like, granted, those are maybe different stories, but I, I think it, it kept hinting at all of these more interesting stories. And then it gives us this kind of dull story. There was some stuff that happened in it that was kind of fun. There was a lot of good sounds. There were a lot of good sounds. I loved the stuff that was on the set of Space Trek 2022. I thought that stuff was really fun. Honestly, I would have read a whole issue of that. I would have read a whole issue of that too. And in that context, you see Gar is insecure, but he's acting like an insecure kid in those. What caused him to flip that switch and start trying to mask his insecurity with bravado and why wasn't he doing it then? Is it just like that's what he does when he's superheroing, that's not what he does when he's acting? Maybe it's like a context thing, like when he's around people his age, he acts differently versus when he's around older folks. Hmm, maybe. Or maybe it's specifically when he's around people that are slightly older than him. Mm-hmm. Because all the Titans are like older teens. I think they're all like 19 in this, <gasps> except for him who's 16. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that that kind of makes con- 
uh, sense and context. But I liked that stuff. I liked most of the stuff that was on the set of Space Trek. Although I I liked too that it seemed to bring up that he is terrible at his job as an actor. Mm -hmm. And this is a kind of minor note, but wildly inconsistent mask technology in the DC universe. Because we have seen that, like, low-level thugs have access to hyper-realistic, like, (laughs) latex masks that can fool anyone. But big-budget science fiction series have terrible masks that can be seen through really flimsily uh, if the guy in them is squeezed too hard. Which um, he should not squeeze too hard. I I will people. I will st- say in Gar's defense, I don't think that was a big budget I space think, adventure. I think they probably had a bigger budget than some bank robbers who uh, are able to buy like Batman masks. Bank or Superman robbers. Masks. Bank robbers have lots of money because they've been robbing some banks. Mm, Touche. I will cross that off of my <laughs> objections list. <laughs> Just object to his being a grosso. Okay, I will do that. We also see in the flashbacks that, yes, Gar is kind of a dick, but he came by it honestly because his dad was a dick. Oh, his dad was an ass. It's really just from that one panel, and I don't think we're supposed to hate him for it because I think we're supposed to be sad that he died, and we're supposed to see that Gar is sad that he died. But, like, Gar's a three-year-old who's playing in the lab, and he breaks something, and his dad yells at him and tells his mom to get this brat out of here. He's ruining my work. Yeah. What a fuck nut. Yeah, seriously. No, he seemed like a real Jacoby. Yeah. And also, to experiment on your child. Well, it was to save his I life. Know. He didn't experiment on him before he got I ill. No, but still. He seemed like he had an ego the size of, the, oh, the darkest Africa. Fucking racist imperialist bullshit. Yeah. I, was, I thought of that because Africa is a very big continent. That's true. <laughs> but they at least they made up a country for it to be in. Yeah. They didn't just have it be at Africa, least. which... Pretty much everyone else was doing at that time. But yes, you are absolutely right. We do see too, I mean, it does make sense for him to be as insecure as he is because we see how many sets of parents he has been through mm. over the years. We have his original mom and dad. They both died in an accident and when he was a kid. They're probably not the best. His mom seemed fine. Yeah. At least we assume she's fine because she doesn't really say anything. <laughs> uh, not great. <laughs> then we get that he was adopted by King Tawuba. Mm-hmm. Who seemed nice. Who seemed nice, but then that gets ruined when he gets taken away because Mobu, Mm -hmm. the... Shaman. (sighs) Witch doctor. Oh, witch doctor. He wasn't a shaman. He was a witch doctor because it was 1982. Yeah. And he was evil, too. He tried to get Gar killed by two guys who don't get names but are thieves. And then they, I guess, adopted? More kidnapped than adopted. Mm Mm-hmm. Gar and used him as uh, as a bank robbing... A cat's paw. A cat's paw, yes. Get it? Because he could turn into a cat! <laughs> Very good. And then, after that, he gets adopted by Gantry, who turns out to be Arsenal, who's a real piece of shit. Who mostly, I think, beat him and stole money, is what yes. I got. Okay. Yes. So, not a great dad. And then he gets adopted by the Doom Patrol people, and then they die. And then he has his stepdad who he gets abandoned by because his stepdad goes off searching for his mom's murderers. So, not a great life for the kid. Makes sense that he would have insecurity, I suppose. Mm -hmm. I do have one question. Yes. This is kind of derails the conversation, though. Okay. Is part of being a superhero being super rich? Most of the time. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Most of the time, and it's something that I've actually talked about before, that... 
really annoyed me about the talk about conversations getting derailed that really annoyed me about the Luke Cage TV series uh, is that it took away the hero for hire aspect of his character, which was something that I liked. I think there's this idea of an inherent nobility and amateurism that is really, really elitist. That if you're doing something not for the money, it is empirically better than being paid a fair wage for doing something. Mm -hmm. So if you are going to be a superhero and you are not going to accept any money for it from anyone, and that's going to be your whole life, then yeah, you have to be rich. Well, there's also like, the, it removes that element of life yeah. for them. So for superheroes so it makes things a lot simpler for storytelling i guess it makes it simpler for writing because they yeah. don't have to have a career but it also yeah i think feeds into this it's an unrelated thing but it's part of why i think college athletes should be paid yeah there's this this whole idea that it's somehow demeaning or lesser than to be paid a fair wage for doing something but i i think that is absolutely uh, a big part of why being rich is a big part of being a superhero i mean it's been said many times, but that is essentially Batman's superpower is mm -hmm, that he's super mm -hmm, rich. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of people's unmentioned secondary superpower. No, honestly, it's it's such a big difference Yeah. in life, in lifestyle. And like yeah. you can buy a super jet and you can, you know, fly a place. And, yeah. you know, it's cool that you like get lost in a galactic wormhole for five years because you didn't have to go stack some boxes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You would lose your box. I, if I were stuck in a wormhole for five years, I would lose my box stacking job like that. Because another person would stack a box. Mm -hmm. And you have to constantly be stacking those boxes as you have learned from watching many episodes of Law and Order. <laughs> if you stop stacking those boxes for even a second to answer a nice detective's question, you're fired. Yes. How did we get here? I don't know. <laughs> This is, I will mention, this is the first time we're having alcohol together for the Ever. podcast. <laughs> this is the first of our recording sessions that we have been drinking during this. And it may make a difference. Let us know. Oh, can I say one thing that bothered me? You can say as many things that bothered you as you like until we run out of time. <laughs> Do try to keep these around an hour, so... Why the fuck was Be was Beast Boy wearing a mask in Doom Patrol? <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. It's the dumbest thing ever. He's got green skin and he turns into green-skinned animals. Him having a secret identity is so stupid. Either nobody ever sees him because he's kept locked away, and so that's why they don't know that he has green skin, in which case, doesn't need a mask. Or he doesn't have a secret identity, in which case, he doesn't need a mask. But yeah, he wears a weird, like... It's pointy. It's a Wolverine style mask almost. It looks like a it looks like a beautiful butterfly. It does look like a beautiful <laughs> butterfly. You're absolutely right. And I love his old Doom Patrol mask. Yeah. And uh you're right, it doesn't make a lick of sense. What was the other thing that bothered you? Okay. It's on page seven. Okay. And it is fucking Robin. Is it the Lizzie Borden reference? It is totally the fucking Lizzie Borden reference. It drove me nuts. Because Lizzie Borden was not a teacher of burning things. She was notoriously a terrible hot dog cook. That is mostly the thing that Lizzie Borden is known for, I think. There's a nursery rhyme and you know it. <laughs> you know it. Yes, that is fair. I don't think it's necessarily a nursery rhyme, it is. but is it? 
It, well, it's not like, I mean, I wouldn't say it to a kid, but kids do it while they're skipping rope. Right, right, right. Uh, about, uh, would you care to recite it? Um, I think it's Lizzie Borden killed her, killed her parents with an axe, gave them 30 wax. It's something like that, right? Uh, Lizzie Borden got an axe, gave her parents, parents 40 wax. 40 wax. Yeah. Yeah. Also, it does gloss over the fact that she was acquitted of those charges. <laughs> she... Yeah. Fucking Robin, greatest detective next to Batman. What? Okay, God. you're right. That is... Maybe he went and he solved the crime. Like, he did some, like, forensic work after the fact and realized that, like, that's why they were unable to convict her. She didn't kill them with an axe. She burned them to death. And with they were too dog. stupid to figure it out. <laughs> yes, because they had burned her hot dog. She had burned their hot dogs. And that's why her parents beat her, and it was self-defense. Um, we do see what a great detective he is because he's able to figure out that Garfield turned into a porcupine to shatter electrified glass. No, Gar, Gar just says it. No, but he says it after uh, Dick had figured it out. Oh, he And then he, yeah, he sure. cuts him off and tells him, Yeah. no, 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 let me say it. Because first he gives him guesses because that's when Gar calls Donna Arlene Francis. Wait, wait, oh. I know it. Gar turned him out, himself into a poor... And then oh. Gar cuts him off and says, hold it, let me have the honors. I had to smash the glass without touching it, so I turned into a porcupine. <laughs> but yeah, that's not how porcupines work. No, that's not how porcupines work. They're majestic, beautiful creatures. Who cannot shatter bulletproof glass with their quills. Glass that turning into a bear and flinging himself at the wall did not shatter it. Yeah, nonsense. Why do you think Jillian liked Gar? I don't know if she has a thing for the color green. Maybe. It shows that they were friends as a kid. She has almost no lines other than Rescue Me. We don't learn anything about her personality. Oh, that's why. <laughs> yeah. Because she was bland and had no personality? Well, not not like as a character. It's because like... She's a plot device, she's a not plot a character. device, not a person. Yeah. yeah. Which is like actually how he sees women. So that's cool. Yeah. That's why she liked him. Because he treated her the way she felt she deserved to be treated. Okay, that actually makes sense. I have this, this headcanon where part of Gar's thing of him constantly trying to sexualize everybody and do his performative toxic masculinity, I don't think he knows what sex is. I think he has like kind of pieced together this idea for himself as a hero in a PG-13 movie. Mm -hmm. I guess they wouldn't have been rated PG-13 yet if it was 82, because I don't think they had that rating yet. A, so a PG movie where it's like hinting at what sex is, but it doesn't actually know. And I suspect that Gar doesn't actually know either. I suspect like if you asked him to describe sex, he would be like, um, yeah. And then I put her boobs in my butt. Is, is that, is, I, no, 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 I, 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 I put my, my butt on her butt? Um, it's, he reminds me of the kids in Weird Science. Yeah. Yeah. That is a really good analogy. <laughs> That's like, well, all of the, all of the dudes in 80s movies who aren't jocks, basically, yes. is who he is. <laughs> yeah, he's a real Anthony Michael Hall. No, he doesn't have the charisma of an Anthony Michael Hall. He's a real Anthony Michael Hall's friend. <laughs> Oh, no. Poor Anthony Michael Hall's friend. He played Gary in Weird Science. Or Wyatt. I don't remember which one was which, but he's, yeah, he's a real Anthony Michael Hall's friend. <laughs> You're going to get a letter about that one. From Anthony Michael Hall's friend? I hope so. 
But yeah, no, he just he just seems like all those grossos who are like desperately hoping to like catch a glimpse of a boob and like don't know what that means. Yeah. Just know I, that I it's, think... it's titillating in some way. Yeah, I think that is absolutely his character. Yeah. But honestly, it's not funny. It's just sad. Yeah, it definitely comes across as more sad than funny. And And it doesn't give you the sense that you're hanging out with your friends. Either you're laughing at him but not with him, or you're just skeeved out by him. And honestly, I don't know if it's just, like, the place that we're reading this from. I think that's a part of it. Yeah, I'm just curious, like, there were some questions I had about, like, the original context of this. And, like, what the expectations were for how people were relating to him. Which I think we covered a little bit at the beginning. But I wonder if there's, like, this sense of, oh, actually, you know, I do think girls are really hot. And also I feel really uncomfortable all of the time inside of myself. That is, like, kind of my, from media, like, my understanding of being a pubescent boy. Yeah. (laughs) Think that is part of it. (laughs) And I've actually gotten some letters in the past from readers who have told me about like yeah i'm embarrassed at how much i related to gar as a character and was kind of taught by every other aspect like this comic book didn't exist in a vacuum pretty much every other aspect of pop culture was reinforcing these ideas of this is what it means to be a boy this is what it means to be a man this is how you're cool and yeah it's it's gross did you feel that way growing up i think to an extent Certainly, I'm embarrassed at a lot of my thoughts from when I was that age and of what I thought it meant to be cool and of of the things that I said and did. It was a different context than this because it was like about 10 years later, so slightly different. But yeah, probably. There, There were a few little touches that really did amuse me. Some of it, as we mentioned earlier, was on the set of Space Trek 2022. I really liked that Captain Kirk was using a cigarette holder. Oh, I didn't see that. And glasses when he was off stage. Oh, I thought that was a producer. No, that's, oh, that's uh, he's got his reading glasses on. See, he's oh, in his uniform. That's adorable. We also get, I wonder if part of why the director was constantly mad at Gar is A, he brings up the fact that he was missing his marks constantly, that he was endangering his castmates, and that he wasn't even getting it caught on film. Which is shitty enough, but also he seems to be doing rotating impressions of other characters from Star Trek. I thought it was a different character, but it's Gar going from doing a Scotty impression and saying, Captain, my heart, it cannot take the strain. And then he goes from that to, he's dead, Tim. So he's rotating through these different characters, and that doesn't make any goddamn sense as something that is being filmed. There is another fun scene where Gar is having difficulty getting a date, and you see him leafing through his phone book, and he calls Zelda Zoretz. a little black book. It is a little black book. But you see him calling a Zelda Zoretz, and she doesn't recognize who he is, and she turns him down. I was really disappointed that they showed his little black book, because I had already been establishing in my brain that there were only two names in it. And it was like, oh, Agnes Aronson and Zelda Zoritz. Those are the only two. <laughs> but no, it was supposed to be that he had gone through his whole book. And even Zelda Zoritz, who's notoriously not choosy, <laughs> refuses to go out she with him. She does have a difficult name. Always, always last. Double Z. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. What a snooze. Because eh? oh, she's tired. Because Z's. Z's are sleepy. Catching some Z's. Yeah. Eh? Yeah. Eh? Yeah. Eh? yeah. Gar couldn't catch some Z's. 
Oh! No way. But then he does get a date with Jillian, who just shows up at his door out of nowhere. As, like, I, like I said, and like you said, a plot device. When she first showed up, there's this conflation of the art and the dialogue that before I started reading on, I went back to see if she was supposed to be blind. Oh, really? Yeah, I'll show you what I'm talking about. She first shows up at, at his door. And she's got like these empty pupils and it looks like she's staring off into kind of nothingness. And she's saying, you're looking wonderful, Gar. And he says, I am? Oh, of course. So are you, Jillian. And I was like, oh, is she blind? Like, is that why? Oh, of course. Like, is he being self-deprecating there? But doesn't it look like she's blind in that panel? Or like, you know, four color problems or like really Aryan. I don't know. She's pretty Aryan. But then they have a falling in love montage, which is actually pretty sweet. And you see Gar, like, not trying to be performatively masculine and actually having a nice time. They're sharing a soda with two straws, which is very sweet. They're playing miniature golf and walking on the beach. And he's turning into a horse and she's riding him around the park. I didn't even see that one. Oh, that's, yeah. that's metaphorical. Yeah, yeah. But mostly, it also was like, wait a minute, this guy's having a trou- trouble getting a date with a, like, why doesn't he just try to date other teenagers? Because he's on TV, and he can turn himself into a horse. Like, that seems like he would have no problem with other, like, 14-year-olds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, I had to go back and know she isn't blind. Oh, <laughs> um, um, well, she has so little characterization. Maybe she is. She doesn't want to get killed. We know that about her. Oh, that's true. She that's would like true. Gar to rescue her. We know more about her dad than we know about her because we know her dad doesn't want salad-haired kids. And we also know that he's a millionaire. No, we know that he's a millionaire. We know that he wanted grandkids, not salad heads, which is also fucking berserk. His daughter's 14 and she doesn't date want him dating somebody because like, she should be having kids. I want grandkids. <laughs> fucking gross. I have one kind of silly thing. Let's hear it. There's like a shit ton of Star Wars references in this. There really are. And it's weird. Well, I'm just wondering like what the person writing this and like what they expected their audience to think of Star Wars. Did everybody love Star Wars? Was Star Wars kind of like goofy? Also, because Beast Boy seems like a real fan of Star Wars. He loves Star Wars. The main reference that I caught, I didn't catch actually that there were others, or I don't remember seeing that. The main one that I remember is when he's asking her to go to the new this new movie that's coming out, Star Wars. Maybe it'll be good. Yeah. Um. I. It's, at the beginning, it's like a George Lucas story. He says that too. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Well, he probably meant THX one eight seven or, or Willow. Oh, was Willow George Lucas? Dude, it was based on a George Lucas book novel. I think later after the book, George Lucas wrote a novelization of it. Because I tried to read that. It was by George Lucas and Chris Claremont. And I was like, this is going to be great. And it was unreadable. Wasn't Will? Do you mind? I swear Willow was a George Lucas movie. Well, I'm sure it was because Maybe. George Lucas did uh, co-write the book about it. It was out in the before times, which is how I think of everything before 1986. Tough but fair. Like you. You are out in the before times. Oh, boy. <laughs> what a crazy era it was. But what's really weird and jarring to me about the Star Wars thing is that it highlights the oddly compressed DC timeline. Because in the present tense of the story, Gar is 16 years old. The story he is talking about takes place probably two years ago, because I think he's supposed to be at least 14, maybe 15. Star Wars came out in 1977. So that would have made him 11. 
in the context of the book, but you have to compress years because that's how it works in the DC timeline. So when he mentions Star Wars coming out, it puts a very specific timestamp, which we'll get to those later. I didn't use this one for it. I did. On the story that takes you out of the story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it does it in service of a joke that doesn't particularly land. And it, it it bothered me. Do you think that the writer just isn't funny? I think Marv Wolfman can be funny. And he's done humor stories that I've really enjoyed. I think it's something that we came up against in the original Teen Titans run, where it is jarring and embarrassing oftentimes when a dude who is like in his 30s or 40s tries to write cool teens, but without really doing the research. Mm -hmm. In the 60s stuff, it's hilarious. In this, it's sometimes kind of funny, but it more often comes across as embarrassing to me. Yeah. Well, my question for you is, do you think it's because you have some sort of context more context for the 80s stuff than you did for the 60s I stuff. think yeah I think that is yeah. probably part of it I, I can't like take myself out of it yeah because you have more familiarity with it I'm also curious like is but it you just... have no familiarity with either right probably more familiar more with familiar the with the 80s. 80s um and and there's I think it's more like with the 60s stuff like granted I loved television but media was like less omnipresent than it was mm-hmm. in the 80s and it was also less constantly recalled like a lot of the television from my youth was like oh remember 10 years ago when blah 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 happened and I'm like no but glad but I'll to, play along <laughs> glad to know that it did yeah <laughs> so um I do think that media constantly recalls itself in that way I'm also curious about you know, my other question with humor in this is like, I just think Beast Boy isn't funny. And yeah. I think it's a consistent thing that they're trying to make funny or somebody once at some I, point thought was funny, but it's not. It's tough to tell. I think that Beast Boy is supposed to be embarrassing. So I don't think that the author necessarily thinks that Beast Boy is funny. Okay. I think it's that Beast Boy is trying to be funny and no one else thinks that Beast Boy is funny. I will say... I did love his little goat pun riff thing. <laughs> I enjoyed that too. He pops off like he turns into a goat and he has like three goat puns in a row. That's pretty fun. Um, four actually. The other thing that he turns into, which I'm like, what the fuck is that? At one point when he's fighting Arsenal, he turns into what I described as the dreaded mustachioed monkey bear. <laughs> Where? Oh, there he is. Yeah. He's a mustachioed monkey bear. I don't know how else to describe that character. I think he was supposed to be a gorilla with cat ears. And a mustache. And, and well, you know. That is a mustache. It's poorly drawn jowls. I will, I will say, overall, the art in this issue was much improved from the last issue. I really did like the art in this issue. Yeah. I thought it was beautiful. It's There's a different inker on this. It's a guy named Gene Day. And I, I think it's a big improvement over Pablo Marcos. And I really liked it. And... Uh, Always, George Perez does a wonderful job. But yeah, the the art in this, I think, it is cleaner and more detailed and the characters' faces look more distinct. And I appreciated that. I also thought it did more work for the story than it did in the Raven story. Yeah. Like, there were some um, panels that had a lot of movement to them. And I Mm -hmm. thought that that really helped the narrative and it helped get a sense of, like, what what the action was. And there was more action, I'll say. Like, a lot less exposition, a lot more action than there was in the Raven story. And I liked it. I mean, honestly, this felt just more like a... 
it didn't feel like an origin story or a retconning of someone's origin story. It just felt kind of like, hey, here's the thing that happened to me. Yeah, and and maybe that's what Changeling is supposed to be. You know, he's supposed to be this blustery, kind of jerky young dude who's really uncomfortable in himself, who is just like, let me insert myself here. And I think that makes sense. And I think that is the way in which the story does work. Yeah. It, like I said, like having the unreliable narrator and that you see that clearly illustrated that he is blustering and he is lying and here's how I try to present myself, here's how I actually am. And you get that really clear juxtaposition and in that way I thought it worked. And maybe there's this sense that, oh, okay, like it's natural to feel this way and that's like the, the pathos that Beast Boy can... I just, I, I think, and maybe I'm just projecting this, like I really want him to have a purpose because otherwise I just get really annoyed. So I think that's why I can't get off this idea that yeah. he has some sort of relation to the to the readers. <laughs> well, it, it's it's tough because I don't know if he's supposed to be like an entry point character or if he's supposed to be, I think more than that, you're supposed to relate to the older teens and kind of see maybe a little bit of yourself in him, but also see him as the annoying little brother. The little brother. Oh, okay. Well, you ready to get into the minutiae? Let's do it. Okay. Rick, sing us in. One, two, three. We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, what do you feel like hitting up first? Let's talk about the bozo. Okay. What instance of a character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, would you like to fixate on? I have two. My first one is where Gar is telling Wally off. Uh-huh. And he says, you want to make a career out of being the fastest corpse? Very nice. I thought that was very funny. That was a very good one. I very much enjoyed it when Gar is trying to get into the castle where Arsenal has kidnapped Jillian. And he is just pounding on the door and says, let me in, jerko. <laughs> Jerko's great. Jerko's really good. But I think my absolute favorite is on page 21 has what I like to call a natural bozo. What? I didn't see it. Show it to me. It is in the captions. Gar is, I believe, referring to Arsenal. Trouble is, Bozo had a few gimmicks of his own. Bozo did. He did indeed. Bozo. You are so pleased. I'm happy whenever we see a natural bozo. <laughs> They're be they've become increasingly rare in the wild. First four issues of the story had a natural bozo every issue. That's why we have the category. <laughs> did you have another one? I did. And mostly because I thought it was trying too hard. We've talked about it already. On page seven, Robin mm -hmm. says to Gar, was Lizzie Borden your teacher? Whoa! That's a pretty good burn. Yeah, considering how bad he is in making hot dogs, <laughs> I bet Lizzie Borden taught him to cook. Notoriously poor hot dog chef, <laughs> Lizzie Borden. I just thought it was like, okay, that's a great burn. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Very good, very good. We might have to start renaming the category the Lizzie, who is the Lizzie Borden who had the sickest burn? <laughs> Because she's always burning hot dogs. <laughs> oh. That Lizzie Borden. Oh, man. Oh you know, man. Lizzie Borden was actually acquitted of the charges of I burning do. hot dogs. 
Oh, so not the burning it's hot dog really strikers. unfair that she is continually referenced in popular culture and media as a poor hot dog chef. Lisa, in this comic book, what was your favorite sound effect? I had two also. I just could not pick. That's okay. What were they? The first one was whoomp. It's the sound of the door crashing onto Gar. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's a pretty good noise. Uh, what was your other one? Zzzrock. That's uh, being electrified? Yeah. It's when arsenals are electrified. That, those are both pretty good. They're both very different from mine. I thought at first one of them was the same, but I had which is how Gar tries to give somebody a raspberry, I think. Like, that's him sticking out his tongue and going, is him saying, and I was just like, wow, he's bad at everything. And I really enjoyed that. The other one was we talked about the notorious goat panel. Oh, yes. And the goat headbutting arsenal makes the noise, poom. You like a poom. I do like a poom. And we referenced the goat puns, so let's just take a gander at him. Oh, and I believe in one of the following panels, he does turn into a gander as well. By the way, Galtry, am I being too much of a butthead for you? Getting your goat, so to speak? That's what you get for being so gruff. Why don't you lay him out of here while you still got the chance? I mean, that's four. That's four. I I didn't catch the lamb one because it's on the next panel. You were absolutely right. There is also, before that, Galtry. Like, I wondered if he was trying to make Beast Boy like him, but was just terrible at it. Because he was trying to kill him. But he also just kept saying his name. Like, he had just read some, like, Andrew Carnegie stuff. But there's this... Do you hear me, Logan? Or do you only answer to Beast Boy these days? As for you, Beast Boy, now you're a dead man. You've escaped. You're better than I'd imagined, Beast Boy. But it won't help. The first arsenal designed all these weapons. Beast Boy, you can't possibly escape. Well, I will Beast say... Beast Boy. <laughs> oh, Beast Boy. Tell me more, Beast Boy. Beast Boy. Hmm. Now they're, they're best friends. Now they are best friends. Um, There is this moment... Oh, Where? spam is a really good sound spam effect, was, I too. have that one written down, too, but I didn't mention it because I thought two was enough. He does also say, Beast Boy says this, You gotta rem- remember, Galtry wasn't really a trained super baddie. He didn't quite know how to handle this situation, but he did know that he had to repeat his nemesis's name over and over again so that everyone knew what was happening at all times. Well, and because everyone's favorite sound is the sound of their own name. So now he and Beast Boy are best friends. Yes, Hub. Hub, I think he and Beast Boy are best friends, Hub. Let's get married. (laughs) So, did you have a timestamp or a show and tell for this issue? I had a timestamp. I had a timestamp, too. There may have been show and tells, but as I said, the juxtaposition of the difference between what was happening in the panel and the caption i thought worked really well and it made for much less in the way of redundancy in that and also it's beast boy so like every other sentence was a fucking timestamp. <laughs> what timestamps did you want to talk oh, about? oh i just have one and it's the star wars okay yeah we yeah. talked about it briefly earlier yeah no i i agree and and like i said that one really took me out of the story and yeah, as I said, too, there were the, also the timestamps that are from like the 40s and 50s, mm-hmm. which made no goddamn sense. But on page three, we get like 
four timestamps in a row. Beast Boy is talking about being green, basically. Oh, that's right. But he says, how would you like to spend your wonder years being confused with Sprout, the jolly green giant's nephew? Well, at least no one thought I was that David Banner guy from TV. So there I was, a human Kermit the Frog, all ready to grow up to be a poster for The Lawn Doctor. That's four. That's four. That's four in two panels. That's insane. That are right next to each other. And that is kind of the pace of Gar's dialogue as he is telling his story. Yeah, a lot of timestamps in this. Both effective and less than effective. It was weird that they brought up the Hulk TV show. And it always, when there's the Marvel DC cross-references, I think Gar does those more than anybody else, but uh, it's always a little bit like, oh, <laughs> Oh, I see. Oh, you're talking about about that? <laughs> My God, how gauche. <laughs> how rebellious of you. <laughs> Quite. <laughs> my monocle dropped off and my top hat got flipped right off of my head. <laughs> you're really towing the line there, beast boy. <laughs> what was your favorite panel? I had like a, a lot of them. Yeah, the artwork's really, really good in this. It, it's kind of a re- return to form. And as I said, it's it really shows what a difference an inker makes. I really liked all of the close-ups of Gar's face, like on page two, when he first starts to kind of narrate. Just really well shadowed and just kind of interesting. It gives him a different personality than mm-hmm. I think we've seen before. Like he, he looks younger. Mm-hmm. And then also uh, there's a close up on page seven where he's just like sleazy as hell. He's being <laughs> sleazy and smug and it it's and perfect. it comes across that it is it is ineffective too. Yeah. It's yeah. It's like perfect. Like, I mean, it's just it's really well done. It, it really is. I had, I feel like they're both almost cheats because it's the falling in love montage I thought was really well done. And then, yeah, there's a double, there's a double page spread on pages five and six, where it's what I wanted the issue to be, frankly, <laughs> and I thought it would be from the cover. Where on one side you get all of his Doom Patrol buddies, and on the other side you get the full lineup of the Teen Titans, Teen Titans West crossover, minus Hawk and Dove, which is nice, and it is also the only panel that Aqualad is in. But also Gnark and Lilith and Mal are in it. And I'm just like, oh, those guys and Bumblebee and Golden Eagle. And I was like, oh, man, I thought we would catch up and find out what they had been up to. And then in the background, it's a nuclear bomb going off that has Gar's face on it. Like just showing that his life was exploding. And it's really cool. And I really liked that. It's pretty. It's very pretty. Any other panels you wanted to talk about? I mean, there's some really cool stuff with, what's his name? Galtry. Um, what's his bad, bad person name? Arsenal. Arsenal. There's some really cool panels with Arsenal. Like on page 10, I really liked where he said, I want room, um, to like the battleground is too confining and like all of the rocks are bursting from him. And there's just like all the, all the line work that looks to me like, um, like anime stuff, which I'm sure is actually from something else. Right. Um, (laughs) Uh, it's just like his his fighting stuff is, looks really really cool. It does, and also his face in his battle armor looks like kind of a robot owl thing. Oh, totally. That's really cool looking. Yeah, no, like the the fight stuff I think is awesome. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's really well done in this. I also really like this face, the hinting at anger face on page twenty four. Right when he's dripping wet from having come out of the lake, and he's just punched out a de armored arsenal and made the spam noise. Yeah, water. And maybe sweat dripping off his face while he's looking angry and saying that, like, I 
been angry since, and I, I, it had been growing since Doom Patrol died, and I tried to get rid of it. Yeah, and, like, that's also a story I would have, like, enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, how did you handle all of your emotions when all of your friends died, Gar? Like, what's that about? Well, I sexually harassed all the ones that hadn't died. Oh, good. Sartorially speaking, what fashion choices would you like to highlight from this issue? There were a lot of really good fashion choices in this issue. There really was. All of the costumes from Space Trek 2022 were really good. I will specifically note Tiffany. That's the first one I wrote down. Uh With, like, the starfish boobs. The flower armor pasties. I thought they were stars. I think they're flowers. Oh, they're totally flowers. Huh. I thought they were stars. No, you're right. It would have made sense if they were. Um, But I thought that was really good. Coriander was wearing a t-shirt that... I had generated what I thought was the story for it and had like, well, now I need to research this and confirm that that's what's going on. Oh, yeah. But I thought it was really cool where she's wearing a t-shirt that says, heroes aren't hard to find, NC. And I was like, wait, what? And I, I thought, and I was like, I think heroes aren't hard to find was the slogan for DC Comics in the late 70s, early 80s. But why would it say NC instead of DC? And then I was like, Oh, I think maybe within DC Comics, much like within Marvel Comics, Marvel Comics are being published. Within DC, DC Comics are being published. But to not confuse things too much, they're called NC because originally DC was called National Comics. And so I was like, that's really clever. And that wasn't it at all. It turns out there's a comic shop in North Carolina called Heroes Aren't Hard to Find. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. But uh, I thought that was really cool. She's wearing it in a number of panels. And I was like, wow, it's weird that they would go out of their way to advertise a specific comic book shop. There were a lot less comic book shops in the, in the early 80s. The direct market really wasn't much of a thing yet. And so they had probably done an appearance there at some point and decided to promote the store. And I thought that was pretty cool. That is really sweet. Other than that. I really loved Gar's beach look. Oh, his beach look was really good. Where he's wearing the open shirt and has a hairy chest. He's a little hairy. He's got some pink shorts on or maybe they're purple. I don't know. Blue. They're blue. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he's wearing those sunglasses that you can see people's eyes through. Yes. I like Which I almost got you a pair of those. Oh, I'd wear them. I agree that that's a good look on the previous page. He's wearing a uh, nice, again, with his shirt unbuttoned to his navel. But shirt with vest over it and sunglasses look. And that's a nice, nice, very 70s looking combo. I also like that at some point he made the decision. Either he didn't know how to transform his clothes when he transformed into an animal. Or he specifically chose to leave his clothes behind except for his tidy whities But there is a significant portion of the book that he spends fighting arsenal in his tidy whities which was just confusing that was adorable it was cute but it was also like wait why could he not transform his whole outfit that he was wearing because he's usually able to do that right yeah like is that something he learned how to do later but no because they show him doing it before it was so he just decided he's like you know what'll intimidate this guy i'll show up in my tidy whities he, you see his clothes. Then they'll see I'm crazy. Yeah, you see his clothes on the floor, like when he's transforming into the condor too. Yeah, but not his underpants. Well, he's got to keep it modest. This is the PG-13 movie of Gar's life, right? Oh, so you think in the real version he just showed up naked? Yeah. And it was just like, let me in! Swing I'm crazy around. and naked! Fair enough. 
Mm-hmm. Um, one more thing that I loved. Yes. Fucking white overalls for camping. This is like the fifth overall <laughs> color he has displayed in the comic book so far. The outfits don't change, but the colors do. Yeah, I, I liked them too. I think the white overalls are maybe the best overall look. I liked it when he was wearing the green overalls too, though. Overall? Um, yes. <laughs> I think the white overalls may be the best. Yes. Overall. Also, uh, we see that Cyborg is back wearing a black turtleneck and blue jeans. So presumably he got angry in the la- between the last <laughs> issue and this one, tore them off and leapt around. I do think it's a new day. You're probably right. So he just brought several versions of that outfit. Mm-hmm. Oh, and totally. Gar brought several, uh, uh, several they overalls. Have to, they have to stay on brand. That's I mean, fair. that's the biggest thing. And when you have billions and billions of dollars to all put together. That's a lot of overall money. That's a lot of overall <laughs> money. In this, as in every issue of a new Teen Titans comic, there is an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. Discounting the actual Speedy and Aqualad who did appear in this issue. <laughs> Who was this issue's Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans? Donna. Really? Yes. Why? Because on the same panel that there's the Lizzie Borden thing that annoyed me, she says, maybe you'd better eat and forget the stories tonight. (laughs) Just like, I don't really want to hear this now. (laughs) Piss off. That, to be fair, I think she was not the first person to express that sentiment to Gar. I think Cyborg had done it earlier and just be like, well, we're all in for this. Just buckle down, because it's coming. He's going to yammer on. And I think after he had told the story, somebody else said that. I went with Gar, because he was a real shit in this issue. And in the interstitial bits, as well as the backstory. For reasons, we really went over a bunch. But he also is dismissive of the other stories that had been told. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, he didn't get Raven anything because she's a vegetarian. That's true. He just brought hot dogs. She was probably just eating a hot dog bun with condiments in it, like Corey used to when he was working at a convenience store and was a vegetarian. (laughs) The Corey stories are never going to cease. No. Another time somebody tried to rob him with just a bullet and no gun. He put the bullet down on the counter and said, do I have to use this? And Corey actually just yelled at him for a while. It was pretty great. It's one of my favorite Corey stories, which I know you've heard many times before, Lisa. But you should have Corey tell what he said. We'll see. Stay tuned, dear listeners. Go back to the Bozone for a second, just real briefly. You talked about uh, him telling Wally he was going to be the fastest corpse. Um, The reason he told Wally that was because Wally gets in a pretty good zinger. He says, one question I have is, if you used to be so great, what happened since? Sick burn, Wally. That was pretty sick. Yeah. Uh, conversely, who was the Aqualad? Which Teen Titan did the best in this issue? I thought it was Cyborg because he made Gar some hot dogs. Agreed. <laughs> Is that what you Cyborg asked? for the hot dog backup plan. <laughs> because he knew his friend. And he knew his friend, if given the opportunity to try to talk and cook at the same time, would continually fuck everything up. Back up to Coriander, uh, because... I liked that she was fucking with Gar and really playing into her I'm a naive space person thing. When he first gets out the hot dogs, she's like, isn't it cruel to eat dogs? And he's like, they're not real hot dogs, Coriander. She's like, yeah, I know I was fucking with you. (laughs) I was like, yeah, good for you, girl. (laughs) Get it. Yeah. (laughs) That does leave us with one very important question. Lisa. 
Wapoot! What was Aqualad probably up to? We do see him briefly, but it is in flashbacks. So, in the year of our Lord, 1982, and the month of our Lord, August, Wapoot! Wapoot. You know Aqualad believes in inclusion and equality. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And in relation to this, he decided to spread the message of support of all peoples by attending the first ever Gay Olympics mm-hmm. in August in San Francisco of 1982. It has since been renamed the Gay Games, but yes. Yes. He had a grand old time. He did indeed. He watched some diving and some swimming and just cheered and cheered from the sidelines. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. I think they may have even let him help light the torch. Oh, of course. Um, Yeah, he he had had a number of friends in in San Francisco's gay community from when he and the other Titans had gone undercover. Uh, He has wet and wild. Oh, that's um, right. And he had reinforced those friendships in his time at the Stonewall Riots, as we had discussed in earlier Wapoots. And yes, he did, in fact, attend the first gay games and did a wonderful job. And then after that, because you took the one that I was going to use... (laughs) Uh, there's been a lot of talk about Star Wars in this issue. But let me tell you about a different Star Wars. The WCCW Star Wars that took place in Texas in August of 1982. The stars that were warring in this Star Wars were Ric Flair. What? The Von Erichs. Huh? Specifically, Carrie Von Erich. And the fabulous Freebirds. Ooh. Who, much to Aqualad's horror, had their heel turn, and P.S. Michael Hayes turned on his alleged friend, Kerry Von Erich. Now, Aqualad was upset, but he wasn't super surprised, because they did have Confederate flags as part of their outfits. Because, by and large, fuck the fabulous Freebirds. Although I do like the Freebirds rule in which any trio can defend the tag team titles as any two members of that trio. That's a pretty good rule. It is a pretty good rule, and it allows us teams like the New Day, which is great. But Aqualad saw that, and he yelled out at Michael Hayes, Michael Hayes, you're a real piece of shit. And P.S. Michael Hayes stuck with him ever since. (laughs) (laughs) And that is what Aqualad was probably up to. Yay, Aqualad! Huzzah! Thank you so much for joining us, dear listeners. This was a real hoot. Lisa... Thank you for joining us, and thank you. She has donned the giraffe hood of her onesie again. I just didn't want to distract you all the time we were recording well, by thinking there was a giraffe next to you. I was in a continual state of surprise and alarm because I'm terrified of giraffes. Did you know that they don't have knees? Those I... are two sets of ankles. Mm-hmm. It's a ball joint. Very, very upsetting. But thanks for joining us. Lisa, you're my favorite giraffe. And thank you for joining us, listeners. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. You can leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. You know better than I do. And if you would like to give us some money, you can do so at patreon.com slash, not backslash, just regular old slash, ttwasteland. That's, once again, patreon.com slash ttwasteland. Next up... Starfire. Yes, and I have promised you a romp. If Starfire is not a romp, I have a romp in mind. Oh, good. Okay. Thanks for joining us, internet friends. Yes, thank you. And... Vup, 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 vup.
It's like hearing my own voice recorded back at me. Those two things sound exactly alike, much like this story. And they knew it. See the unrelearable narrator. The un- <laughs> what do we see? The unrelearable narrator. <laughs> yeah, sure do. If you see the events of Huckleberry Twain, <laughs> Huckleberry Twain. If you, you see like the events of Huckleberry, of that <laughs> I know. I was just testing. Uh, if you see the events of Huckleberry Finn as being an unreliable narrator, you might be a redneck. Um, I will say real quick yes. that I just read the New York Times 25 best songs of 2018. And one of the details how important it is to that rappers make machine gun noises in their songs. Hard v- agree. V- 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 <laughs> That's not a machine gun. That is clearly a fart noise. <laughs> Oh, excuse me. I wish Corey was here to eat that. (laughs) We can agree to disagree.